With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome into the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. We are here to present only the finest in minor league coverage throughout all organizational levels of your Colorado Rockies. Man, that just feels good to say. That's cool, man. Featuring insights, oversights, and foresights from SB Nation's representation of the Rockies, and we are here to have an absolute blast. My name is Justin Wick. I am an editor for Purple Row, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and only the finest in minor league analysis, Purple Row staff writer, Mr. Kenneth Weber. Kenneth, my friend, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Justin. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. You know, this is like we're breaking the ice. We're finally doing it. I know we've been talking all these insights on our own, and we finally get a little audience to put this together. Man, I'm fired up. I am too, man. There's only so much <laughs> that our Slack channel can really hype us up. It's actually getting into other people's ears at this point. That's true. Really Absolutely. giving everybody the insight. And it's fun to give the input. It's fun to actually have a voice behind all the articles that we put together on Purple Row. This is something that I've been pretty fired up about for quite some time. Um, over the next hour or so, we are here to map out the work of 2020 draftee Chris McMahon. We'll present our organizational all-stars for the month of May. We'll map out the week behind us, the week ahead, but first we're going to cover the work of none other than probably the next member of the starting rotation for the Colorado Rockies. That is left-hander out of Ole Miss, Ryan Rollison. I mean, who else are we going to start with? He just gets called up to AAA. We're rolling the dice with this guy. Um... Basic recaps on where he's at. He was called up from AA on May 18th, so not too much experience in AAA thus far. It has been an absolute roller coaster of AAA experience for him. His debut, he went one and two-thirds innings. He gave up a five-spot, five earned runs, and didn't complete the second inning. His second time out, it was last Friday, the 28th of May. He pitched against Sugarland. He went five innings. He allowed one run on a solo shot. So just quick analysis, we've got both opposite sides of the spectrum pretty long outing pretty short outing a lot of runs not a lot of runs what are your initial viewpoints on this and i mean i'll just open up to you what do you got on rollison at this point uh well first of all i mean this is the the top pitching prospect widely regarded within the organization and then from the the rock or from uh the purple row standpoint this is the top perp for us as well too so a lot of attention being put on this debut in the first place and when you look at that initial start on the 22nd against Oklahoma City, um, a lot of the cards were kind of stacked against him in that one because he hasn't ever been outside of AA. So it's his first time going into AAA with a lot of expectations kind of riding on his arm at this point as being that next guy um, to come up to the Rockies. And then you add on top of that that you have a rehabbing Cody Bellinger that he has to deal with and Zach McKinstry, who has been you know torching the major leagues in his time. So he's having some really stiff competition. His first time out there with a lot of expectations and probably some nerves factoring into the whole thing. Four hits in one and two third, two walks, you know, five earned. He did strike out four, so I mean, the stuff did play, but I think that the comfort on the mound 
probably wasn't there for him his first time out. Now you fast forward to his second outing, a lot more comfortable of an atmosphere, a little bit more settled in, a little bit less nerves, and then five innings pitched, no walks, seven strikeouts. He gave up one solo home run, which was the blemish. You know, you see kind of how a young player adjusting to the situation, he failed the first time. How did he respond? He came out and he dealt the second time out. So certainly a very positive start if you look at the grand scheme between the two starts for Ryan Nelson and AAA. Yes, you make a tremendous point about that. And on top of it, too, you know, I think that it's certainly worth noting you're going from Hartford, Connecticut, all the way to Albuquerque, New Mexico. You're getting your plane ticket. You're having to force all of your living arrangements. And, oh, by the way, Cody Bellinger's in the middle of a rehab outing right now. Mm-hmm. So of course, And Albuquerque's yep. not fun to pitch in necessarily either, Absolutely, too. no so kidding. There's a different <laughs> environment in that ballpark, too. You're facing a glorified Coors Field, and you're facing the next level up for the Dodgers, too. I thought that was kind of funny, and I thought it was kind of exciting, especially, I mean, a head-turning outing just to be able to put them together in a matchup like that. Um mm-hmm. And not to mention, I mean, just all of the continual prospect analysis of what's been going on, and especially seeing, I figured it was going to be a f- maybe five innings. That's kind of what is I guess, essentially the norm for a lot of these starters. And then finding out that he's getting chased in the second inning, and then the bullpen's forced to mop up a lot of those kind of stuff. It was alarming, to say the least. I mean, I guess you can't can't really weigh a whole lot into it, especially as you're really building up those new norms within the minor league ranks. This is a kid that, you know, he's still young and he didn't get to pitch for 13 months. Um, I can only imagine your adrenaline's riding pretty high in your AAA debut. You realize you're knocking the door of the big leagues. And I guess it was reassuring to see this in thought that it's nice that he didn't really turn out like Jose Mejica debuted last year. It wasn't necessarily a great (laughs) year for Mejica. My fear yeah. was, let's say we took that, let's say that was Rollison that was coming out of the bullpen. I was kind of concerned going, is there a chance that you're really going to rush a guy like that when he really comes together? So it was comforting to see that, you know, you settle down a little bit. What he did against Sugarland, you know, you mentioned that one solo shot. It wasn't much of a really, wasn't a huge deal. You settle in for five innings and you go to work. And I think that was certainly a reassuring kind of sense of this. So as far as I guess time frame. This is kind of a tough time when you look at the Rockies rotation. We've got Chichi Gonzalez that is doing extremely well for being non-tendered this offseason. Yeah, course, how long do you ride that train, though? Yes, no you kidding. Know, the, and then They'll come back down to earth. You, you expect a little bit with Chichi. But, I mean, the strength of the organization right now on the major league side is pretty much that starting rotation. You now have Freeland back in the rotation. Yeah. Obviously, Herman and Gray are going to be doing their thing. Gray, for however long he's here, hopefully the long time, but that you know could change in the upcoming months with it too. So when you look at the Rockies' rotation, there is that solid four. You have Gomber, who you know has at least had his flashes, and at the very minimum deserves the opportunity to show what he can do in a full season of work with it as well too. So. Um, the window of contention isn't really there. You're not really in the situation where you have to try to push him if he puts you over the top to get into that playoff chase necessarily. But you also do have five guys in front of him who justifiably have that spot in the rotation already. Yeah, sure. Too. And it, I just can't help but wonder, you know, for such a highly touted prospect as Rollison, and of all th- of all the things that the Rockies are really good at, it just so happens to be the starting pitching right now. So I yeah, know that's kind of yeah. the way it goes. You're kind of just forced to work with the hand. Yes, absolutely. So we might have to wait a little while. We might have to be a little patient. I guess that's the way it goes. I guess that's cool to have at least some degree of optimism and realizing that this guy is readily available if he keeps doing what he did in his last AAA start. 
We've got a lot going on. He's normally been starting every six or seven days this year. We'll likely see him tomorrow night in Albuquerque as they take on the mm-hmm. Las Vegas Aviators. We've got a great battle of AAA hats, by the way. we got the cool Adam-looking logo for Albuquerque. We've got the cool-looking Aviator for the Vegas hats. Like, we've got – I mean, I'm a nut for I'm, the minor league hats. I'm always going to appreciate the Albuquerque isotopes because it immediately makes me think of the Simpsons and, and the, <laughs> the thought process behind it. So that's really hard to top for me. If you're making a good Simpsons pun as your logo and your brand, <laughs> I'm kind of sold on that. It's unbeatable right there. Wouldn't you know it? I've always wondered, you know, I didn't know if it was like a nuclear bomb kind of play that they were doing. I was like kind of worried, but I'm pleased that it was, I found out, oh, it was the Simpsons reference. Oh, cool. That's mm-hmm. kind of an innocent thing. So, I mean, yeah, it, you just, you, you take it three times over behind what the thought process is and then you realize the uh the historic media that they're pulling from for that one it's like all right that's that's over my head i wouldn't have done that that's solid just unsurpassed wouldn't you know it they were the trendsetters for crazy minor league names and at least it flows it's not like you're talking like i don't mean to bash a team called the trash pandas but you know i'd rather play for the isotopes you know (laughs) <laughs> the trash pandas just reminds me of somebody sitting in a room and trying to reach it, you know, millennials halfway. Like, well, well, what can we do to draw in the younger audience? I don't know. They call raccoons trash pandas. I'm like, oh, that's, that's like there it is. We're that. doing it. Yeah, I wonder what the board committee was like when they all sat around a room and they're like, you know what? We're going to do this. This is how we're going to sell tickets. It, it reminds me of like somebody had to sit in a room way back when and figure out like what are the key words that can reach a younger demographic? Teenage <laughs> mutants ninjas and turtles all right i think we got it there you go and then trash and pandas fit on the whiteboard somewhere mm-hmm. it's a mad oh, lips that somehow comes out okay <laughs> we'll go through the system we'll keep progressing on we got another pitching prospect that we've been talking about currently with high a spokane we've got some good names in high a we've got the aqua socks we've got the dust devils we've got some like timeless names within those ranks um chris mcmahon currently pitching with the high a spokane indians He's been also starting every six days or so. It looks like we might actually get Rollison and McMahon on the same day tomorrow. So we're looking at Yeah, I got him on Thursday. Yes, there you go. Um, anyways, McMahon, of course, 2020 draftee. We've very limited sample size of what we're working with with this particular guy. He did tow the rubber mm-hmm. last Friday, pitched against Eugene, which was the high A affiliate of the Giants. He went six frames. He also allowed one earned run, which was on a solo shot. I believe he almost had, like, the same line as Rollison. I mean, Rollison went five, McMahon went six. Both of them gave up five hits. Both gave up one seven run on a, on a solo. Yep, seven strikeouts and no walks between both of them. So his previous two starts, McMahon also kind of ran into some bumps in his last couple outings. He threw against Vancouver, and he threw against the Everett Aqua Sox. He pitched 12 innings, gave up 12 combined innings between those two starts. He gave up nine earned runs in those 12 frames. And he struck out seven in his last start. He struck out six in his last two starts combined before that. So on the year, he's got a 4.18 ERA, 28 innings, 25 Ks. Of course, if you're notching up seven of your 25 Ks on the year in one start, you know, you're probably doing relatively decent. It's been a very roller coaster type of thing. This guy's probably going to take a little while to get up to where Rollison is. But at least how he has adapted within the time frame of being drafted, how do you kind of feel like this guy's fitting into the mix? I think uh, it's funny when we talk about Rollison and McMahon in the same sentence, because obviously there's expectations on on both, but they're two very contrasting styles. Um, So McMahon sits 92 to 95 with it, while Rollison is kind of sitting 89 to 93. So you have a little bit more of Freeland and Gray dynamic. 
um, between the two. And I think that when you look at McMahon, there's a little bit more refinement that's needed. However, the electricity is there to where he has maybe a higher ceiling while Rollison is going to be having a higher floor on what we can expect from them as they develop in the future. So when you see kind of these rocky outings where McMahon is, you know, having trouble putting batters away, I think that's really showing the lack of the third pitch being there on a game-to-game basis with him. But when he puts it all together, he can be as dominant as anybody in the system, and I think that that's what we saw his last time out there. So because he hasn't had any minor league ball yet, being a 2020 draft pick, there's going to be a little bit more bumps in the road while Rollison has already gone through that process a little bit through minor league baseball. So Rollison, we're putting on our radar for this near future type of guy, while McMahon, we're kind of waiting to see him start stringing it together consistently. The stuff, though, I mean, the stuff is great. When you have a, you know, a 55-grade slider and fastball and a developing <laughs> changeup on top of that, like, look at what John Gray is now. I mean, that's a very similar profile that McMahon is putting out there, so there's a lot to dream on with him. Yes, absolutely, and I really like your Freeland and Gray type of comparison with that. You see a guy with the electrifying pitch mix that McMahon does. I mean, anytime you're, I think the pitch mix, of course, part of the reason why you want to go after a guy like this is because that fastball slider combo is really going to play well in the altitude like we have seen. I know we've mm-hmm. been talking on Purple Row quite a bit about the Rockies leading the league in sliders or something like that at this point in time. So it's fun to see, and I, I can't help but wonder, at least from an organizational standpoint, I realize pitch metrics aren't necessarily as readily available in the minor leagues like they necessarily mm-hmm. are in the big leagues. I mean, I dream of the day where baseball savant's going to open it up for absolutely everybody, but yeah. I think that it's, of course, you see the high ceiling of a guy like McMahon, and you really start to look at, if this guy clicks, this is really going to be somebody that can come together and do something really well. And at the same time, I can't help but wonder, you know, he's still got a lot of those strikeouts. Of course, you mentioned such a highly graded slider like he does. He's wiping out a lot of hitters. And even if he's given up a couple runs in his last few outings, he's still having the kind of stuff that it's not necessarily like he's inducing really strong contact. And I would certainly presume this is the kind of guy that, you know, if you look at hard hit percentage type of things, when you have that kind of movement profile and you're doing that in high A, it's definitely something that I don't really think many people want to face in the box. And when you start finding out this is where your day lines up in the week, of course. So yeah. that's hitting is hard. Hitting is hard, and it's a lot harder when you have 96 running in on your hands as a righty. Or am I becoming from the same <laughs> window and it's going the complete other direction? And another nice part about McMahon, too, is with a lot of these guys that really have kind of top-notch stuff, command is usually the biggest problem, and control specifically He's not a really super high walk guy either. So, I mean, there has been good notoriety for his ability to at least fill up the strike zone. So I think that alone is why we're seeing McMahon not debut in Fresno, but they pushed him straight up to high A Spokane. And, I mean, the whole minor league landscape and the conversations that we would have had before with rookie ball in Grand Junction, full A, um, you know, in, in the Northwest or the Sally Leagues, that's no longer even a possibility. Like, you have to either start in low A Fresno, which would have been where he would have been promoted to by the end of the year. So instead, he's now moving up to the second level immediately out of college, essentially. So he's being put, you know, to a challenge right away. And, okay, if there's some bumps in the road, you expect it. But he's also showing these dominant, you know, performances as well, too, which makes you think he can at least compete at that level. And that's a huge, huge positive. 
Yes, absolutely. And you talk about, you know, the fact that, sure, some of the command might necessarily not be there. I mean, I think that's kind of to be expected within the lower levels of the miners. But I think that, you know, when you mentioned when he wasn't placed in Fresno, when he was initially placed in Spokane, I thought that was a really cool telling sign that this is a guy that's really refined in what he's doing, probably a little bit more refined than what we necessarily think that he might be straight out of college. And I think that it might, it's, it's interesting to me, especially seeing, you know, the guys that didn't necessarily receive an invite to the alternate site last year, you didn't have a full set of eyes on them. Sure. They had a full set during April when the minor leaguers reported to spring training, but Mm -hmm. I think that it could easily be a testament to, you know, you look at when Steve Merriman departed to go to the University of Michigan as the pitching coordinator for the Rockies. The Rockies end up bringing in Flint Wallace. You start seeing a lot different more sliders at the big leagues, and then it made me wonder if this was kind of an organizational push that, you know, not bashing Steve Merriman. I thought he did a tremendous job, and he's going back to Michigan because he does a tremendous job. But seeing what a guy like Flint Wallace does and seeing what the pitch mix that McMahon is really putting together – I guess my kind of presumed thought would be, you know, if you put such a highly touted, highly, a lot of money invested in Chris McMahon, if you put him in Spokane, is that the kind of pitcher that you really want, I suppose, people to follow after? Is that kind of like a trendsetter that you label him as a marquee guy? Is this kind of, I realize this is kind of scary to look at such a young player and say that everybody's trying to follow this guy, but do you feel like this is somebody that is really, like they're almost setting the tone with McMahon to kind of create like a seismic organizational whole effect of this is the ideal pitch mix that we're looking for um i think that he fits the mold more than anything else and i think that's the most encouraging part it's hard to look at somebody and say we want you to be like him when you have to try to live up to the expectations of what somebody else has done i mean that's that's tough putting somebody into that uh, position to succeed however and this is a big thing with the rockies We kind of just want to know what the plan is. And if we know that the plan is that you want somebody who's got a little bit of gas in their arm and can give you a good slider, and then you develop a changeup behind it, okay, if that's the plan and this guy fits that profile, that's great. Let's ride that. You know, and so I think that's a little bit more of he is who we want based off of the plan for pitchers that we want to develop. And if he fits the mold and he continues to have success, then obviously you know it's working and you bring in more and more guys of that elk. So it's at least a positive sign, and I'm interpreting it as this is the type of guy that we want, and his profile is playing. Certainly, and you start to realize that, you know, when you're having that kind of effect, at least within his last outing, if, if he's able to build off that kind of momentum, and especially as he's starting to build these more normal minor league standards of this is, this is my life now, this is my routine, we're out of college, we're mm-hmm. into the pro ranks, I think it's definitely going to do him well. And hopefully it does absolutely everybody well within the organization anyways. We're going to have a lot of fun tomorrow as it looks like he will face the Tri-City Dust Devils tomorrow night in Spokane. If the schedule lines up, again, looking at McMahon and Rollison on the same night. Rockies and Rangers also throwing down at 110 tomorrow night. Or tomorrow night, tomorrow afternoon. Um, (laughs) John Gray is, yeah, there you go. I'm used to all these minor league times when the day games are happening in the big leagues. Um, John Gray is on the finishes tomorrow. Yeah, wouldn't you know it? Um, we've got the home warrior, John Gray, taking the mound again, where he has absolutely dominated. And we've got the Nuggets. Like, we're going to need, I'm going to need to get all my work done in the morning, and then I'm going to need about seven TV screens to pull in all these pitchers and basketball tomorrow night. So, <laughs> it's going to be a <laughs> lot. We're talking about an abs win in the morning, though. All right. There you go. There you go. I'm with you. We got, it's a pretty good time to be a Denver fan, if I say so myself. It is, it is man. <laughs> man, it's, it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, we're going to take a short break. Coming up in a moment, we will nominate our organizational all-stars for the month of May. We'll identify some top performers through the first month of minor league work. We'll talk about Riley Pint, because what would this podcast be without a Riley Pint update? <laughs> and then we'll map out the road ahead for all Colorado Rockies affiliates. Thanks again for tuning in. You are listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Welcome to the coveted award section of our show. We figured that after the delay of the 2021 season and cancellation of 2020, it would only be fitting to really shout out the players that have taken advantage of a fast start this year. Their performance so far, at least the names that we're going to suggest right here, it suggests that they really took advantage of some downtime, you know, some 13 months or so between games. We've got a full rundown across the entire diamond. Think of this as like the organizational all-stars a month in. Seriously, every single position, first base, second base, all the way around the outfield. We've got three starters, we've got three relievers, and we don't have a trophy to hand out, but you know what, if they tune in, I guess these guys can get the expressive invite to be the guest on the podcast one of these days. So you know, At the very least, they get a purple row gold star. They get a gold sticker that doesn't exist, but you know what? I guess what? it'd be a purple sticker. <laughs> they get a purple rock or something there you go a purple pebble <laughs> um, we will start behind the plate willie mcgyver in spokane is our catcher of the month he is 21 for 83 slash line is 253 361 482 and his ops currently leads spokane he's hitting 843 with an ops not too bad for a guy in high a he was a 2018 selection um, ninth rounder out of the university of washington Pretty refined at this point, starting to get a little bit more refined, doing what he's doing in Spokane. Hopefully we kind of see this guy moving up through the ranks. Not too bad. No, not at all. I mean, he ranks 10th in uh, high A West in OPS as well, too. So, I mean, he's in contention with the rest of the league. As you mentioned, the highest uh, OPS in Spokane. Uh, really? I mean, a catcher with some pop, you know? And he's he's pretty good at throwing out base runners as well, too, in his career. I mean, he was 38% and caught stealing in 2019. He's 30% this year as well, too. So it's not always on the catcher, but he's at least showing the aptitude back there. And, hey, man, the more talented catchers you have in your system, the more options you give yourself when they, you know, become big league ready, the better of an organization you are. So Sure, absolutely. Got real refined. All right, so we'll switch back and forth. First base, my man Kenneth is going to break it down for us right here. Yeah, so at first base, we have another former ninth-round selection, this one out of UCLA, and that is first baseman uh, Sean Bouchard out of the uh, Hartford Yard Goats organization. Uh, so far this year, he's slashing 278, 342, 500. His 842 OPS is leading Hartford. Um, so he's kind of been clubbing the ball, honestly. Uh, he is also, like McIver, on that kind of more traditional path so far to reach Hartford. He's been playing A ball since he was drafted in 2017, so he's kind of right where he should be, but he's always had good extra base hit potential. In fact, four of his five hits last week were for extra base hits. He's also got a little bit of speed to him as well, too. He stole 22 bags in 2018, so you look at him, you look at the profile, you look at the bat, you know, there's there's a lot of good tools that uh, Sean Bouchard has. Maybe that's our little minor league Paul Goldschmidt down there in Hartford. We don't know it yet. 
You know, some impressive speed out of the first baseman, too, if I say yep. so myself. We're going real heavy with the Pac-12, Washington, and UCLA so far. Our next nominee at second base, and I'm just going to come clean on this. This is my favorite guy that we're going to talk about today. Former teammate of my own at Creighton University. We played together two years. Um, Isaac Collins, leadoff hitter in Fresno. I know I don't mean to make it about myself, but you know what? He's a cool guy. A lot of fun. He's your boy. That, dude. He's my guy Own right it. there. Own it. Um, he's hitting 813 OPS this year. Um, that's the team leader for Fresno, of course. He can play all around the diamond. I mean, I can go back to when he first went to the Cape Cod League in college, and he came back an outfielder, and then he came to us again as a second baseman. Another guy that's just lightning fast around the bag and just the all-around good dude. 2019 draftee. We were playing in an Oregon State Regional two years ago right now, so we go back a little bit. So, needless to <laughs> say, you know, I, information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I probably would have wanted him on this list even if he wasn't doing really well, but the fact that he is doing really well means that he's definitely going on the list. He's been awesome. I mean, on, like, obviously, you know, you, you're rooting for your guys whenever either you have that personal affection or experience with him as a teammate, but... I mean, he deserves to be on this list for the performance alone. He has been amazing. He is, you know, the 828 OPS. That's really supported by a 434 on base percentage as well, too. And from the leadoff spot for a Fresno team, I mean, the dude is an absolute spark plug. And for a lot of guys within the organization, patience isn't really the virtue at the plate for everybody. He's got an 18% walk rate from the leadoff spot. So you, you get him running. He runs like a deer. But he's taking the walks to force that situation and get and get Fresno rolling. So, I mean, a lot of encouraging things out of Isaac Collins this year. Needless to say, if you are a starting pitcher in low A, you're going to have your hands full right off the bat anyways. That's a tough guy to be getting around. <laughs> yeah, and second base in center field. So, I mean, the athlete up the middle is, is what he is for that team. So, a lot of, lot of great things for Isaac Collins. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that will take us to uh, his middle infield partner for the most part, shortstop Ezekiel Tovar, uh, who is the shortstop for the Fresno Grizzlies as well, too. Um, so far this season, he's got a 770 OPS, not, you know, the, the highest in the league by any means, but he is pretty much the highest ranked shortstop within the organization. There's a lot of cool things that have been going on with Tovar this year. Um, he's a little young for the competition that he's playing right now. Now, we talked about there's not the same rookie ball, you know, options for them anymore so going into low a at 19 years old he's really holding his own so far this season he has had hit streaks of eight and six games and he has seven multi-hit games already on the season so he's a really dynamic player that i think it was put in a, a position to kind of sink or swim with you know his first taste of real full season ball without having that uh, comfy pillow of like rookie ball introduction or anything like that and so far, man, he is, he's really kind of working well as a pairing with Isaac Collins at the top of the lineup and holding down that middle infield defense. A lot of exciting things from Tovar so far. You know, certainly speaking defensively, especially when you're talking about, you know, pitchers that might not necessarily be refined in Fresno. When you're talking about Isaac Collins and Ezekiel Tovar up the middle, you've got some guys that are really making plays. And, you know, at that point, you want to take every out you can get if you're working with a little bit less refined pitchers. And, I mean, those are two guys up the middle that I definitely want to be pitching to anyways. Um, we'll project... don't want to be pitching to on the other side. Of yeah, the no kidding. Yeah, in the batter's box, oh, by the way. That's going to be another rundown. Right. <laughs> Progressing on down the list, we've got a third baseman from Hartford named Matt McLaughlin, which is going to be our nominee. Um, 
I gotta kinda admit, when we were putting this list together, third base was kinda thin. I don't really want to bash McLaughlin, because he was the best one out of the ones that we found. Um, sure. OPS is 634. That is the highest among listed third basemen in the organization that are at least qualified as third basemen. So I do want to throw down an honorary third baseman, which is Greg Bird. I, he's been at first base mainly for Albuquerque, but, you know, when we're kind of talking thin third base performance, I mean, Greg Bird's at least got an OPS of eight of 782, which that's about 140 above what McLaughlin is doing. So I figure we got to at least show some love to... The dude with the seniority that was playing with the Yankees, what is it, four or five years ago, something like that. Yeah, so. I mean, honestly, Greg Bird is kind of the honorary Rocky at this point, too. Everybody's just sitting there waiting for him to take some sort of position, you know, with the Rockies at some point this season. And, you know, he's been followed pretty heavily. The Grandview graduate obviously was kind of, you know, pegged as that first baseman of the future for the Yankees back when. He's going to get a shot. At some point with the Rockies, you have to think. And, you know, as long as he keeps on hitting while he's in AAA, you know, force the issue. That's that's the most he can do. And at least he's somewhat doing that so far. I mean, a 427 slugging, you know, you know, you know he can hit the ball hard. Keep doing yes. that. You know, I also can't help but wonder, and not that, I mean, of course, he would probably say really speaking well on this, but when Matt Adams was signed to the Rockies and Greg Bird sitting down in AAA, he's just like, what happened here? What's what's going on with this? Where's my love on this category? <laughs> I kind of feel for be, the guy. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a certain Matt Adams clubhouse guy that, that plays into it. Um, and, you know, somebody was going to be the odd man out because when you looked at the minor yes. league invites as well, too, there was Connor Joe, there was CJ Cron, there was Matt Adams, there was Greg Bird. You're not going to be carrying four corner guys, you know, yes, absolutely. three of them for the bench as well, too. So uh, the way I look at it, Adams got the first tryout. And, you know, if it doesn't work out for him as well, too, Bird is next in line. But there more Joe. That's the whole moral <laughs> of the story. More Connor Joe. And he's going to be joining. He might be making this list for the the June rendition if he stays in AAA too long. Yeah, I don't want that. I want him to be one of the top Rockies performers. I'm with you. I am stand. right there alongside. I hear you. I'm a Connor Joe stan. <laughs> uh, but we'll shift on our attention to the outfield now. So starting with the uh, first outfielder is going to be the center fielder for the Albuquerque Isotopes, and that's Winton Bernard. Uh, he's 22 for 69. He has an 887 OPS this year. Uh, he's had a bit of an interesting path. He's kind of the minor league vet. Uh, he's 30 years old. He's played for a couple of different organizations, but so far on all aspects of the ball, and I want to give a special mention to, I believe it was Ozark Bear in our uh, mentions on the, uh, excuse me, our comments in the Pebble Report, talking about a little bit of insider information that the minor league evaluators are really loving the way that Quentin Bernard is playing on all aspects whether it's defensively, base paths, leadership role, being a little bit older of a guy for a minor league deal, um, and obviously, you know, his, his his production at the plate. So when you look at where the Rockies are at, major league competitive-wise, this is one of those organizations that might present an opportunity to, to uh, crack the big leagues for one of those minor league vets. And Bernard was a spring training in, invite. He might get a call if he keeps on playing this way. You know, we got to show some love for the 30-year-old almost pushing Crash Davis territory down there in Albuquerque at this point. Makes me believe I can still make it. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm fired I'm up. I'm right along the line. It reminds me of, like, back in the day in Colorado Springs. I think it was Jay Payton was sticking around for quite some time, oh, yeah. and then he finally got a call up. A big oh, yeah. fan. I mean, I, I, I know that's not necessarily planning for the future, but I'm hoping for the best for that guy. Hey, man. <laughs> 
when you love the game that much, you're going to play it for as long as you can. There I you go. It. Absolutely. I'm right there with him. We'll keep going around the diamond. We'll go back to high A Spokane. Brenton Doyle is our second outfield nominee. He was a fourth rounder back in 2019. Um, he's got the second highest OPS in Spokane behind Willie MacGyver, who also made the list. Um, OPS for Doyle is 793. Very fun to see. You know, he got his little taste of the minor leagues in 2019, got shut down in 2020, and kind of similar to a guy like Isaac Collins. You're looking at somebody that was able to establish minor league norms that got absolutely wiped out for another year, and very fun to really see. I think also it's going to be fun to really see how these guys progress into you know, the dog days of summer. They haven't played a full minor league season being drafted in 2019 and then not playing last year. But, you know, the primary indication is, you know, the first month out, these guys are doing everything that they need to do, and this is going to be pretty fun to monitor as they keep going on. Yeah, I mean, the endurance is going to be a test for everybody that we mentioned, all minor leaguers, especially with 2020 being wiped out, and that's for the major league side of it too. You know, there's there's a lot of baseball still to be played for all of these guys, and one of the truest tests for any minor leaguers is how they hold up in a full season. Um, I will add, though, that Doyle has been putting himself on the radar ever since he came into the organization. Him and Aaron Shunk have really kind of made names for, names for yeah, themselves. Yeah, that's so right. If they can take big steps up this year as well, too, I mean, this could be somebody that we're looking at next year is, you know, on the cusp a little bit, too. So uh, it's exciting to see what, uh, what Doyle's going to do this season, for sure. We're knocking on the door, man. I like it. Yep. So let's get to our last outfielder. Uh, it's going to be Joe Isle. He's... Uh, the uh, corner outfielder for the Fresno Grizzlies as well. Um, he has uh, only 26 at-bats this year, but he has produced an 810 OPS in that time. There's a lot to find out about Joe Isle, to be honest. Um, he has one minor league season under his belt so far. He was drafted in the 14th round out of Illinois State. He played 58 games in Boise in 2019 held his own a little bit, and he's played 10 games so far. So we're looking at a guy who has some decent contact skills, uh, you know, can slug it a little bit. And we're also trying to figure out after 68 games what we got, and that's a, a tough <laughs> ask. So he's somebody to just keep an eye on because, you know, some of these college guys, when you look at some, you know, guys in their history like a Spielborgs or a Talkman, some of these guys are a little bit more polished than maybe we believe they are coming out of a draft. And if they just continue to hit at every level that they're at, all of a sudden you look up and you got big league guys. Maybe it's a fourth outfielder role, but they can exceed expectations a lot of times for a lot of different organizations. So who knows? Maybe I was one of those guys as well. Yes, absolutely. And fun to see a 14th rounder without a whole lot of experience really putting something together in the outfield like that. Definitely. Well, We'll keep rounding out what we've got down to the pitching side. Um, we've got six pitchers coming our way, so we're almost down to the end of the list. So we're running out of purple pebbles to hand out to these guys. <laughs> um, um, low A Fresno, our first starting pitcher, is in Fresno, Mitchell Kilkenny. Um, 2018 second rounder out of Texas A&M. So we're looking at a guy in a similar draft status of Chris McMahon just a couple years removed in 2018, being that was when Kilkenny was, was selected. Excuse me. Um, XFIP of 227, ERA of 180 in four starts. So predictive metrics kind of suggesting that maybe he's not throwing as well as his ERA is, but those predictive metrics are still in the twos while his ERA is in the high ones. So we're talking about at least a relatively solid sample size at this point. He's throwing four starts and 20 innings. So again, averaging five, five innings a start, putting his work together and taking care of some Fresno lineups, which, you know, sure, you might not be working with the best refined sense of hitters, but he's definitely showcasing that 
He might be a little bit more refined than we're looking for, and perhaps this is the kind of guy that might be making some starts in Spokane here pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, Kilkenny Kill has kind of come out and taken the ball every single time and, and given his team a chance to win at the very least. Um, you know, second-round picks will have some expectations, and so far he's at least meeting them, and you can't really ask for much more um, at a guy at that level. Um, so that will take us to our next guy, though, and that's going to be Ryan Feltner. Um, he is a righty out in Spokane as well. Uh, so far this season, he's made five starts to the tune of a 2.08 ERA. He was a fourth-round pick in 2018 out of Ohio State. And when you look at Feltner's body of work so far in the minor leagues, again, it's a little bit limited. He does have 39 games started so far, um, 175 career minor league innings of 3.89 ERA ball with 187 punch-outs, so better than a K per inning. You know, we're starting to get a little bit more of a clear picture of what Feltner is, and so far it's encouraging every step of the way. Um, his time in Fresno, or excuse me, in Spokane so far too, I mean, has been a nice turnaround from where he was in 2019, where he was thrown to the tune of 5.07 ERA for the year. So a big jump up it's looking like from Feltner this year in Spokane. Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, that ERA that he put together in 2019. He's lowered it by about three full points at this point. Um, you can't help but wonder, you know, how might he have rebranded himself throughout the entire canceled season of 2020? Starts putting together a pretty solid campaign and fun to monitor something like that. Um, our final starter, this is a guy that has rebranded himself more on the public forum. Oh, boy, this is kind of a cop-out of an answer. But, you know, what? Uh, he threw really well in Albuquerque for two rehab starts. Final purple pebble of the pitching starting rotation goes to none other than Kyle Freeland, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I feel I cheesy think he might for get the call. him. Yeah, I, yeah, believe it or not, you know, this is a guy that recently got called up to the big leagues. So, <laughs> Yeah, I oh, mean, he man. did have, you know, 18 big league wins in one season, but <laughs> what have you done for me lately? You know, well, a top five Cy Young finish, you know, big deal. This guy, yeah, it's all good. Um, small potatoes. Freeland... I guess the only major minor league stat, Freeland's the only Albuquerque pitcher with two or more starts and an ERA below seven right now. So, you know, not to bash the rotation for Albuquerque. Again, you know, you're working with a lot of up and down type of things. You're hoping that things are getting pulled together. And again, you know, small minor league sample. This is not the AAA body of work for all of these guys is established over a long season. And it might actually take, you know, I think you can make the argument somebody in Fresno is probably they could be more ready to play than somebody in Albuquerque just because these seasoned minor league players actually need to build up to get into the season. So I don't exactly think that it's a panic necessarily that not many starters in Albuquerque have been throwing well. I know that it's kind of weird that yes we had to put Freeland on the list in order to satisfy the All May team, but I think that you know probably when when we get into the dog days of summer that's when some of these more established guys are really going to shine. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be building up. It's 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 a young minor league season so far, and you realize, too, that Major League Baseball had already been a month into their season before minor league started. So they're yes. starting a later camp, and, you know, then they get going with it. Um, you can say that Freeland is a cop-out, and obviously you expect Freeland to be a major league producer, but there is something to be said for how scary his injury was in spring training, just the, you know, the visual aspect of some guy immediately grabbing his shoulder and, vi and you know, visible signs of pain. We really needed that not to be something huge. And him going out and getting clean rehab starts in, free, or in Albuquerque, regardless of, you know, what the tune of the ERA was, to see him healthy and throwing again was big 
for the organization because obviously, you know, there's a lot invested in Kyle Freeland as being a long-term fixture of the Rockies. And so, you know, he, it had to start somewhere the season before he reached the majors. And it's good that the, he was able to fully overcome that shoulder injury and show it in Albuquerque. Yes. And I like what you say about really being able to rebound. I mean, you, you happen to know something about this whole arm injury. I mean, you've got the Tommy John scar, you've got plenty in your shoulder going on right there. Like, yeah, I mean, if, I'm saving up for knows, a robot arm. yeah but i mean hey that's the thing with pitchers man and i think it was glenn perkins um with yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna dig deep on this one so i think it was (laughs) glenn perkins with the minnesota twins i remember a lot of people whenever there's these extensions signed by major league players they're like why would you take this under market value and he simply came out and he's like as a pitcher you could throw one pitch and it could all be gone yeah and like that's just the way that it is as a pitcher i mean everybody's arms is a ticking time bomb until it's not you know, you don't get many Nolan Ryans that ride for 40 years on the same <laughs> arm, which his career ended because he blew out his elbow at 46 years old or whatever it was. So, you know, it's a very scary proposition anytime you have that arm injury because that could be it. You know, a lot of pitchers, you talk about Mark Pryor, he was one of my favorites to watch. Yes, there and you it go. Just, it, once it blows up, it's gone. So it wasn't the case with Freeland, and that's the biggest takeaway from the whole thing. Man, we've got really lucky as far as the Daniel Bard category. I mean, it's like certainly, I mean, seeing at least the recent history. I mean, I guess now one prime example comes to mind in Scott Oberg when that doesn't yeah. necessarily work. But, I mean, I guess statistically speaking, well, I mean, that's kind of an extenuating circumstance, I guess. I mean, yeah. there's a lot going on. That's that's a tougher one, where it's just on a, on a personal level. There's a difference between career-threatening and life-threatening. And I yes. think that's where Oberg fit a little bit more in that category. So it's tougher to say on that. But, I mean... Pick a year, pick an organization, you could at least pinpoint one guy and say, like, this could have been the guy, but this happened. You know, you look at uh, at Tampa Bay right now, Brendan McKay was this two-way player out of Louisville stud. Oh, he sure. Just completely, yeah, his shoulder just blew up, and so now everybody's in the wind saying, what's, you know, what's he going to look like when he comes back from it, if he comes back from it. So that's just the nature of being a pitcher, man. You never know when, when it's going to happen. Yes, absolutely. And, I mean, it definitely on that kind of sense, you know, perhaps more well-earned for Kyle Freeland than some might necessarily consider. That's a very good point. Definitely. And, I mean, he did have an elbow surgery when he was in high school, too. So That's right. It hasn't all been clean sledding for, for Freeland in his career. So he's healthy now. That's what matters. Let's stop, stop talking <laughs> about people blowing up. Let's go there to go. Uh, the, the reliever side of things, though. And I want to talk about my dude, Dugan Darnell. I have to admit that I did not know who or what a Dugan Darnell was heading into this season, but he has been absolutely spectacular. Every time that I have checked in on the Fresno Grizzlies, I feel like I'm looking up and I'm seeing Dugan put up multi-inning relief appearances and striking out more than one per inning without any blemishes. So far this season, he's pitched in eight games. He's thrown 13 and two-thirds innings to the tune of a .66 ERA. He finally got touched up this past weekend against the Emeralds, in which a game Ryan Feltner threw a very good uh, game of, I believe it was six shutout innings, and Darnell finally got touched for a two-run home run, and that ended up being the difference in that game. But for somebody who's a minor league free agent acquisition, throwing down an A ball that doesn't have you know a lot of history behind him, he has been incredibly successful and somebody that is starting to come on to at least my radar this year. Yes, I hear you there. And especially, you know, when you're talking about such a sub-1 ERA, and, I mean, you gave up one two-run home run, like the fact that one swing could really tilt the scale on just those those figures with that kind of thing, and especially when mm-hmm. you're working with a lot of raw hitters like that, well, you're supposed to be a raw arm in low A, 
but this guy's got like a point three. His whip is below like one half. I mean, he's doing pretty yeah, solid. He's definitely, yeah, there you go. I mean, we're looking at and, somebody that's suggesting he's a pretty refined arm right now. Yeah, and you look at relievers, and I mean, the stigma that goes with him is like you you take relievers' numbers with a grain of salt because one bad outing can really kind of yes. screw the whole thing up. Well, his worst outing so far raised his ERA to almost three quarters of a percent. <laughs> in other words, you're doing outing. pretty well. You're actually doing yeah. pretty well if that's how much it's going to jump right there. <laughs> yeah, he has been a monster down there, and I'm excited to, to start seeing uh, what he can do in longer stints because who knows, man? This could be somebody that you know sticks around in the organization for a while and, yes. and could be a future Rockies bullpen piece. You know, it's fun to see, especially throughout these lower ranks, when you're seeing somebody that's definitely putting that model of consistency out there. I mean, I guess that's kind of what our whole rendition is for this whole reliever list. We'll keep progressing down the list. Um, my guy, reliever in Hartford, 28-year-old Tate Sino out of Southeastern Louisiana University. It's been quite a while since he was at Southeastern Louisiana because he's been in the minors <laughs> for quite some time. 39th round selection in 2015 and absolutely clawed it out in double-A right now. He has not given up a run. Perfect 0.00 ERA. Thrown 11 frames good. down there. That's, that's, that, in other words, you know, that's what the kids like to call. That's not bad. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> his whip is also right around 1. It's at a 0.91 right now, which means, you know, first and foremost, that's immaculate. But the fact that, you know, some runners are... I mean, that's a little bit higher than what Dugan Darnell is working with, but Sino's been able to really work through some guys. Not much traffic on the base path, but makes you think that, you know, he could easily be a little bit more refined of a pitcher and also happening to do it in double A against some more refined hitters. That's been very fun to see. Definitely. I mean, the same way that we kind of talked about um, Isle or, you know, Bernard as some of those later career guys kind of turning a corner and figuring it out, well... Who knows, man? Maybe Sino is that, that same type of guy. Relievers can certainly fit into that category as well, too, where something clicks and all of a sudden, hey, now it's a guy. And he could be. He has definitely a very French last name, though, so I'm glad that you did that. <laughs> on that Southeastern Louisiana knew what they were getting out of that guy, man. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 <laughs> some sort of way of spelling Sino. That's just crazy business. <laughs> um so let's get on to our last reliever here to, to wrap everything up on our all-May team, and that's going to be Spokane reliever P.J. Polin, or Poulin. Um, so far this year in 12 games, he has a .75 whip, a 1.50 ERA. He was an 11th-round pick in 2018. Uh, he's 24 years old. He went to Connecticut. And we start looking at his entire body of work so far in the Rockies minor league organization, and he's putting together a pretty nice profile. Um, he's pitched in Boise, Asheville, and now Spokane. He's accrued 94 innings overall in his minor league career. And in those 94 innings, he has 121 strikeouts as well, too, and a 2.49 ERA for his career. 1.19 whips. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of peripherals that are going in line with his performance. And, you know, the body of work is really starting to add up. As a 24-year-old, he could start getting on that track to getting into double-A. And once you're in double-A, man, that's the make or break and being in consideration for a major league spot. You know, we've got a full mix of relievers on this list. We've got all kinds of young guys. We've got some older people. I mean, even in through the starters that we listed out, you know, it's kind of fun to see, especially there's a lot of diverse storylines, especially with a list like this. And I guess the primary reason that I was pushing for really doing a segment like this is realizing, that, you know, there's a lot of different people with a lot of different stories, a lot of different 
different history even within their current seasons at this point but definitely fun to see a guy like him in Spokane really making the most out of you know yes he's established some minor league norms worked his way up to high A and definitely really shining through in now that we got some restored normalcy now that the minor leagues are doing what they need Mm -hmm. to do it's fun to see a guy really doing what they need to it's fun to see all of these guys really doing what they need to that is our full rundown congratulations if you heard your name for the all may team all the way around the diamond all sorts of guys doing their job. Good Purple stuff. pebbles all around. <laughs> I know this is kind of an anticlimactic. I mean, we we don't we're gonna need to do like a ceremony or something, I guess. But there you go, unveiling it. We'll do it high school graduation style. Come get your diploma or something. <laughs> I was thinking more Star Wars, where they kind of award the medals of honors to Chewbacca and Solo. But I mean, high school graduation works too. Whichever way, yeah. We there you go. It's fine. We'll work out the kinks. You know what? It's the first time back on the podcast. We're gonna get real ceremonial the next time out. <laughs> um, I guess one topic that we do have to address right here, because what would the Pebble Report podcast be without talking about everybody's favorite pitcher, Riley Pint? Goodness gracious, we still don't know what's going on. But he actually seems to be doing at least, I mean, this past week for Spokane, he threw three innings, he gave up two earned runs. He's striking out seven, and he walked two. So, you know, we're working it. We Maybe, you know, two walks and three innings isn't ideal. Seven strikeouts and three innings is ideal. You know, we can keep this short and quick because I imagine we're probably going to be talking about Riley Pint at least for two minutes every single podcast. But what do you got on my guy right here? I mean, it is called the Riley Pite Roundup because we're expecting this to be a long-term thing. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of expectations and attention still around Pint, um, and you just have to take it one game at a time with him. But when we look at the the overall body of work for the week, as you mentioned, three innings pitch, two earned runs, two walks, seven Ks. When you split those up, however, his first outing was one inning pitch. He gave up a two-run home run, had one walk, but had two punch-outs. So he got touched up a little bit, but overall gave a normal relief appearance, and sometimes that's all we're asking for with Pine. <laughs> but then he was able to rebound with that, and at the end of the week, throw two shutout innings with one walk and five strikeouts. So got touched up a little bit, had you know a little bit of traffic that ended up biting him his first time out, and then he immediately came out, closed out the game with two just dominant innings, And so it's kind of a tale of two stories with that, with him. Um, You know, it's a solid performance that second time around, and you at least can point to that and say the electricity is still there to just overpower a lineup at any given night. So it makes you at least, you know, keep that hope up. And fun to see also. I mean, he's on pace to have his lowest ERA of his entire minor league career at this point. So very fun, especially recognizing that maybe this is at least some new level of refinement. You know, he is in high A, so this is the highest that he's been at this point, and the ERA happens to be the best. And at the same time, you know, how personal do you kind of take it being... I mean, I suppose that he probably expected it coming when he wasn't protected from the Rule 5 draft. I guess, I mean, I... sure. I, I, I would second that with all due respect by all means. But anyways, definitely fun to see that he's really rebounding and putting something together there. And that's it, man. We're probably going to be doing some weekly analysis every single time out for this podcast on Riley Pines. So stay tuned for more info. We'll walk through it. For now, we're going to take another brief little break. We're going to come back. We'll look through the week ahead, the week behind us. We're going to pick a breakout player to watch. And then we will send you guys off into the world as minor league geniuses, hopefully. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report podcast. Um, we've got a couple more details that we're going to be going over on this home stretch. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always. Uh, we're going to take a look back at the previous week for all of the affiliates, and then we're going to take a look ahead at all of them, where they're headed, what we've got going on. We're going to start from the top. So at AAA Albuquerque, last week they went 1-5 in, in Texas against the Texas affiliate, the Sugarland Skeeters. Um, the Isotopes are headed back home, today being their off day as the odd man out in AAA. They will take on the Las Vegas Aviators starting Thursday night. I believe Ryan Rollison's going to kick off that series, so definitely check yep. that one out. That should be a little bit of fun. On top of that, um, AA Hartford will just keep going on down the list. Last week they went 2-4 and four at the Portland Sea Dogs in Portland, Maine. Got the Sea Dogs and the Yard Goats. We got a little surf and turf action going on. Nice. Very cool. And Little League, I was a Sea Dog. All right, oh, that's a little near is. and dear to my heart, too. <laughs> we got to show them all the love we can get, man. <laughs> yep. Anyways, the Yard Goats are back home this week. They'll be taking on the Bowie Bay Sox, which is a Baltimore affiliate. Hartford also taking on first overall pick in 2019. Adley Rutschman, catcher from Oregon State, also will be taking on former Rockies farmhand, Taryn Vavra. He was acquired by Baltimore in the Michael Givens deal last year, so we've got storylines on both sides of the ball for a lot of Rockies fans coming through. So very cool stuff Rushman. on top of that. Um, yeah, Rushman had a week last week too, so if you have the chance yeah, to watch right. one of their games, man, watch Adley because he is a special generational tal- talent and catcher. Yes, especially behind the plate too. I saw he took home some honors of something like player of the week within some minor league system. So very cool to see. I mean, a perennial guy that you're presumably going to see sooner or later with Baltimore. So very cool stuff going on in Hartford this week. Um, Could very well see him at the Futures game, too. Yes, no kidding. He might be playing at Coors Field here pretty soon. There you go. Get your tickets, everybody. Um, They got a bucket hat giveaway for the Futures game, too, by the way. So if they're, as if, yeah, yeah, go for the bucket hat and stay for Adley Rutschman. There you go. That's (laughs) That's marketing, man. That's marketing. (laughs) That's what brings him in. Um, high A spoke in last week. They were three and three at the Eugene Emeralds. That's a Giants affiliate. Um, fun fact: they played at the University of Oregon's ballpark up there in Eugene. They're getting ready to host an NCAA regional at that park. So I remember I was looking through, going, "Is Eugene actually scheduled to play at home this week? Because that would be a nightmarish situation for the NCAA." Or actually, I think Eugene, proud the Emeralds would probably get bumped for the regional. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I would. I would expect that. I think there's a lot going on because the. Vancouver Canadians are also in that high A section, and they can't go play their home games, so they're playing in Hillsborough, Oregon this year. Mm-hmm. So I wondered, yeah, is this going to be a day-night Hillsboro doubleheader for an entire week if that was? But they avoided the bullet, by all means. Oregon gets to play at home. Eugene's on the road. And Spokane won't have to worry about it. Um, they're coming back home, taking on Southern Washington's Tri-City Dust Devils. That's an Angels affiliate. Um, former Rockies affiliate back in the day, the Dust Devils. I think there was like a Charlie Blackman bobblehead giveaway or something with Dust Devil yeah. jersey on. And with the amount of time that's occurred, there's a lot of former Rockies affiliates. It's almost hard to keep them all straight at this point. Yes, that's true. Somebody listening right now has that Charlie Blackman bobblehead, so by all means, tweet us out because I'm kind of curious what it looks like. I hope it exists. I might be presuming a different affiliate too, so I hope it was Tri-City. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm jealous of the person who does have it, though. There you go. I don't know if it's beard. Was it beard or no beard, though? I mean, I don't know if it I had think the it was, beard it was back probably then. like a little five o'clock shadow at that point. <laughs> a little dusting, you know? That was rookie year. That was rookie status beard. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then our last affiliate on the list, Low A Fresno. Last week, they played at the Inland Empire 66ers, another Angels affiliate also. 
Grizzlies went 3-3 three and three inside San Manuel Stadium in San Bernardino. Beautiful ballpark, by the way. Really nice mountain backdrop. Very cool setup. If you happen to be in the greater L.A. area, highly recommend. Um, this week, Fresno's back home, taking on the Visalia Rawhide. Um, they won the series opener last night, so off to a good start. And that's your full recap. There is the rundown, all four affiliates. It's a whole lot more easier to do this now that they cut back the whole minor league affiliates. So there you go, all yeah. four. Road behind, road nine levels to cover. <laughs> we're safe, man. And somewhere at Salt River Fields, work's going on there, but I don't really know what to cover because they don't really tell us that new stuff. So. No, the, there is activity at Salt River. That's all you need to know. And it's really hot there. So there it yeah. is. That I can imagine too, but I mean, that's to be expected. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Um, last little segment that we've got, we've got a breakout player to watch. There's somebody in the next week that could really turn some heads or do something cool. Kenneth, you picked somebody out. I picked somebody out. You want to get this thing started for us? Yeah, I'll go ahead and give it uh, give it the honors. Um, I'm going to begin with Elihiris Montero. Um, so he was another one of the players acquired from the Nolan Arenado trade to the Cardinals. So there's, you know, take that for what you will, but there's a lot of exciting things about Montero. I mean, he's always had pop at everywhere that he's played in the minor leagues. A lot of the big questions regarding him, though, have been his defense and his plate approach. The dude swings at everything has kind of been the book (laughs) on him. And there's a lot of encouraging signs in that area developing. I mean, he's right now, he's rocking a 764 OPS, a 410 slugging percentage. You know, the average isn't great so far this season, but it has also been the byproduct of a bit of a nosedive this past week a bit of a slump but when you look at it overall he has 16 walks in 96 plate appearances so far this year it's all right it's not great not terrible either but when you compare it to his previous career high which was in 2018 where he had 38 walks over 531 plate appearances he is just light years ahead of that pace from what he set in 2018. So I think that there is starting to be more of an approach being developed in Montero. He's getting a little picky, and now he's doing damages on pitches instead of helping pitchers out more often than not. So I'm really hoping that this is the start of him really starting to develop as a hitter. And once you start going down that path with big boy pop like he has, I mean, that could be real good news for, the, for Montero in the future. That's a very good point, especially on top of that. An international sign that's already spent five, I think this is his sixth year in the minors. He's 22. And, you know, Mm -hmm. sure, we're looking at somebody that maybe he's not exactly the most refined as far as plate discipline is concerned. But, you know, he's also a 22-year-old playing in double A right now. So as far as what he's been posting, especially he's only going to get more refined as the season goes on. And I definitely think that's a good player to watch. Big tip of the cap. You might have stole my guy too, by the way. I actually really like that pick right there. Um, we work off each other great minds. It's all good. I was going to say that that's how, you know, you get a pretty good co-host when you're on top of that stuff, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to stay in Hartford for my guy. I'm going to go with Regis Jesuit high school's very own Reagan Todd. He has two earned runs in his last seven outings out of the bullpen. He's thrown seven and two thirds innings. The reason that I put him on here is because the isotopes and triple a, they just lost Zach Roscup to the 60 day disabled list. Or I'm sorry, the injured list. Goodness, I gotta. If you've been in baseball long enough, man, it's it's hard <laughs> to let go of that DL. I gotta clean that up. The injured list. My apologies. Anyways, Reagan Todd, he could be a reliever to monitor for immediate depth, especially into AAA, and you know, not to beat the dead horse of the Rockies bullpen is kind of struggling, but that's something you know, a recurring theme that you know, is there ever going to be something where we're really going to need to tap the system to go into AAA to pull somebody up to give 
anybody not named Lucas Gilbreath or Justin Lawrence another opportunity to pitch in the bullpen. Um, Reagan Todd's season figures aren't exceptional, but he seems to be turning a corner. Currently at 4.63 ERA. He also just walked two guys in two-thirds of an inning in his last start. So I put him on the list, and then he threw a couple days ago. And then it happened to be his worst outing of like his last seven outings. So, of course, yeah, I feel like I kind of jinxed him on that by all means. So it's hopefully funny I at how least, that works out. Yeah, hopefully I just cleared the karma and everything's good to go for him nonetheless. So there you go. Elihuris yeah. Montero, Reagan Todd, both in Hartford. Both are breakout players to watch. They're back in action tonight. Well, I guess they're back in action every night except Monday nights anyways. So those are our two guys. That's what we've got. And that is our program, ladies and gentlemen. We are so thrilled to be bringing back the Purple Row Pebble Report podcast. Um, be sure to check us out on Twitter. You can find Kenneth at KDub1988, myself at JustWick, and, of course, Purple Row all over Twitter as well, at Purple Row and on PurpleRow.com. Also, big shout-out to all of our people that comment on the Pebble Report articles that we put together you mentioned ozark bear earlier in the program big tip of the cap to that guy a lot of cool insights and your invaluable information is definitely appreciated and we definitely take a look at those comments and a big motivating factor for what we put together on this podcast um also big thank you all our colleagues at sb nation all our media people across all the rockies minor league cities huge thank you to all you guys all our listeners for tuning in on behalf of our co-host, Purple Row writer Kenneth Weber, I am Justin Wick of Purple Row. Looking forward to bringing you this all season long and having a blast doing it. Until next time, let's play ball. <laughs>